Hello and welcome to Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides. I am here with Mr. Chris Hellstrom. Hello. And today we have episode number eight, I believe, and it is all about... Programming drums. That's right. Yep. So when you don't have a drummer, you don't have access to a drummer or a nice room, or you just want to program your own stuff, we're going to give a couple of tips and tricks of things to think about when you're doing so today. Damn right. Yep. Um, So I guess we'll dive right in. Well, you should do it. Go ahead first, sir. Well, I'm going to ask you, what's your... uh, what do you like to use when you're programming your drums? Are you big... my fingers? <laughs> <laughs> Bada boom! That's right. Where's the drum patch for that? We'll have to add that in. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Come for the info and stay for the jokes. That's um, right. No. <laughs> right. No, but well, you. Uh, I mean, in uh, some of the collaborations that you and I have done, at least, you, um, I think you're still a big fan of the Logic drums, yeah? I am. They are so convenient, and they sound good, too. I mean, they're not as awesome as, say, you know, Superior Drummer 3, I think that's the current version, is that right? Yep. And, you know, they're not like 96K or 192K done in a room that's probably recorded that's set on springs, so there's no extraneous noise anywhere, but... For what they do and how easy they are to use, I dig them. Yeah. No, I, it took me a little bit of convincing to that initially. Um, I thought the original idea to have drummers have different names and stuff, I thought that was kind of like, okay, you know, uh, let, let's let's move on from that. But, um, <laughs> right. But, but as a tool, it's actually quite handy, um, especially for sketching out ideas and, and – uh, getting your songwriting thing going on. But that being said, you can get some really, really good results with that too. It's with not the Logic fa- Drummer you're talking? I'm talking about the Logic Drummer. Yeah. yeah. it's. I mean, it's not my favorite. Um, I, I've been a tune track guy forever. So I, I like um, Superior Drummer. Well, and I've I've used, they did Addictive Drums too, right? No. no, that's a different company. A different yeah. company. Uh, yeah. I used addictive dumbs, uh, addictive dumbs, <laughs> addictive yeah. drums, addictive dumbs, yeah. addictive dumbs. I've used addictive drums uh, in the past, and they come with preset grooves that you can use and cut and paste and mix and match, which is also kind of cool. But yeah. uh, you know, the Logic Drummer is very flexible in that regard, and it can create those patterns, and you can do a lot of manipulations, and it can create fills. Um, but yeah. not always working so well in the fill department. They actually take some finagling to make them work well. I agree. I agree. But as a starting point, they're, they're really Great starting really points, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, there are other ones too. Uh, I never worked with um, BFD from a few years back. Uh, they were sort of like one of the top dogs as well. And I What's know the real an acronym? Big fucking drums? I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Big fucking drums. BFD drums. I think I still have a, a sample pack of that that I bought years and years and years and years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I'm, I never used them, but but they they sounded great. And there are others as well now that are out there. Uh, the the NI stuff, I think you've used before. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, 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 well, using the Abbey Road drum kits, they're incredible sounding, I think. But uh, I they don't come... They do have actually, they have Abbey Road Drummer 
And I think oh, they really? also have modern drummer. They come with grooves. I don't know how good they are because I've never used them. I always just drive in what I'm going to end up using when I play those drum kits. But the Abbey Road drum kits, I use those on a song that is coming out later this year, I'm under the impression of, called I Miss. And it's huge sounding, those drums. I mean, they are amazing. And I, you don't have to do a whole lot to them. I've got another one that I'm working on right now. The temporary title is called Where's Thumper? <laughs> but it's because the drums are so thumping sounding. It's not going to be the name of the song, obviously. But uh, yeah, no, they're great. Um, I actually yeah, so, do use those on a, on a not so rare occasion. Yeah. I mean, so, so there, there are a lot of stuff out there and I'll be missed because I'm a big slate guy. So I'd have to mention like slate drums as well. I don't use them uh, because I'm, I'm just firmly planted in the superior drummer. You, Cause you're so superior. Obviously. <laughs> uh, no, but we talked about before how it's important to know your gear and yes. yes. Switching gears when you know a piece reasonably well and you get good results from it do you really need to change unless your the product is drastically different or has other benefits to you so but, but i guess the bottom line here is that there's a lot of good software out for for drums today, yeah well and that's an unfortunate thing for a lot of drummers i guess um well, well i think yes and no um because it's the the age old question that just because it's available doesn't mean that it's better, and well, a lot of no. times it's not. I mean, it's I think the uh, the big benefit to a lot of us is when you don't have access to a giant drum room or a great sounding drum room. Right. Um, right. Well, and in, in project studios that don't generally have drum rooms at all, it's about the only way you're going to get drums done anyway. Right. And if you right. do a good job that we're going to kind of probably talk about here. Not even kind of, we're going to talk about this. Damn it. That's right. Um, most people would never notice the difference. You're not going to hear it. You're going to just be like, wow, who played those drums? Yeah. That's the you, hope anyway. <laughs> right. Well, assuming you program them well enough. Yes. Um, and the little things that we're going to talk about today that are worth considering when you're doing that. Um, the thing that is always going to be a benefit of having a drummer and a good drum room is that you have an actual drummer who's going to think a little bit differently um, compared to somebody who might not be super comfortable with the in and outs of, of how a drummer might play. Yes, um, yes, yes. So, so they're going to create parts and they're going to have that feel and um, all that kind of thing. You have that immediate impact. So if you have a drummer, awesome. You know, go ahead and do it. Um, if well, you're... speaking of such, in that regard, uh, V drums and other yes. electronic kits are a great way to actually do electronic drums in a sense, and not have to have a need for a giant drum room for great multi miking kit situations. The song that I you agree. heard a mix on the other day, "California right. and You," that was actually me on drums on a V drum kit. Yeehaw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and way back, you know, way, way back in the last album that I did, it was an album album. I tracked those drums using the V drum kit with live cymbals. Right. Right. No, I remember that. I, I think I did a session at your place one time in your studio where, where you did the same thing. Yeah. Mic'd up overheads and mic'd up the overheads for the cymbals and then yeah. triggered everything else. Yeah. It's, it's a yeah. great way to work. Yeah. No, I think even today, though, I haven't played around with, with the new pads and things like that. But uh, I hear that 
you know, the, the symbol. Obviously, it's going to be a slightly different feel for drummers to sure. do that, to, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, when they're hitting. But uh, the functionality is, is much improved, I'm sure. Yes, so that, that's good. I think the only knock that would be on that kind of situation would be if it's a drummer that has a harder time adjusting to what it feels like to, to play a, a V-drum kit or where you're essentially just triggering. But maybe that's the, the next level of drummers that coming out now. They're just as comfortable playing on a V-drum kit as a um, on a regular a li- kit. live kit, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Could be. Could, could be. Could be. All right. So, Start uh, us off. I'll start us off. So the first thing I would say when you're starting to program your own drums is, is the part possible to play? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, try to emulate a Gene Hoagland or somebody like that or playing Terry Bozio, man. I'm going to play all four limbs and completely different things. Right. So not (laughs) that things would be difficult to play, but are they actually possible to play? Um, in other words, you know, if, if you're playing a 16th note pattern on the hi-hat, you're not going to hit the snare at the same time because it's just not physically able to do that. Oh, um, contraire. You could use your toes. Well, hopefully those are still <laughs> stuck on the feet. So, um, and also, so little things like that. And uh, th- that can, you know, take a little bit of just kind of getting used to because you know, oh I hear this part in my head but um just well, especially being if to, you're trying to do a hi hat at the same time as a snare hit and a crash well yeah things like that right or you know um you're you're playing double bass drum but you're also choking the hi hat and letting it up and down and that kind of thing so it's like well <laughs> yeah that that would be I'm not sure even Mr. Hoagland would be able to do that uh although he probably could but um no, so, so parts, how they are and do they make sense? Um, and that's something that, you know, we'll touch on this straight off the bat, I guess. If you're unsure of, does this actually work? Ask a drummer. You know, that's could, a good way to do it. This? Yeah. Yeah. Or you just yeah. need somebody else that knows their shit in terms of arranging for drums who will come back to you and say, dude, not possible. <laughs> right, right. Because that happened to me a lot early on when I was first learning to program drums. My roommate, uh, Mr. Jeff Scott Soto at the time, he'd come back to me. He's like, no, <laughs> that just doesn't work. <laughs> Drummers can't play that. Can't you Can't you understand that? So, right, right. And it's not, it, you know, it's important to, to differentiate here. We're not talking about, you know uh, – the quality of a drummer is something be difficult to play. We're talking about something that would actually be impossible to Physically play. Physically impossible yeah, to play. Yeah. Unless it's an overdub or something like that, right? And that part is fine. So that kind of leads into the the next part of, of that, I think, and that is, does that matter? Does it matter that it's impossible to play? Um, and Well, I guess it depends be- on if it matters if you want percussion tracks to go along with your drum track or if your drum track is trying to take care of everything. Because if your sure. drum track is trying to take care of everything and it's pulling off impossible stuff, it's going to make the music sound less real. Right. And so there the stylistic choice comes in, whether let's say that you're doing a, um, a jazz trio then it very much matters, at least in my opinion. But if and you you're better doing, make sure that ride sounds kick-ass. That's right. <laughs> uh, and uh, take care of your velocity levels and stuff. But um, if you're doing, let's say I've been riding some like 
80s soundtrack stuff lately for, for this library that I do some work for. And, Hammer time. But, but then it, it becomes a different thing, right? Because if you're having, you know, you know it's, it's trying to sound electronic and it's not trying to emulate what an actual drummer would do. So, so you're using Lynn drum sounds? <laughs> I am actually using um, some old Oberheim. Ooh, so Oberheim even. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I have experimented with the uh, the Lindrums and, and – uh, but I, in this case, I've been using a lot of the Oberheim and I found that gives me that sort of cool early 80s kind of vibe that I was – That also kind of harks back. Isn't – was Alex Van Halen, did he use Oberheim or did he use Lynn for his drum pads for his toms and stuff? Because they used a lot of that stuff. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think they did. Well, I think it was probably triggered. So we're probably talking early '80s here, right? Or, or even yeah. later. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. It would probably be the the D drums or something, and and possibly their their brain when they had that to like get that massive tom sound kind of thing. I'm, I'm not sure to be honest. Um, so. Yeah, so stylistically, it doesn't matter if the drummer can't play it. If you're doing something more organic of a musical style, then definitely. Sure. Um, but, um, yeah, so that that's the first thing to kind of take into consideration when, when you're doing that. Um, nice. The other thing mm-hmm. is, and this is a big thing, is make sure you make use of dynamics Dynamic. What are dy- who needs? Di- why I'm compressing the snot out of everything. Why do I need dynamics? Because it triggers <laughs> different samples and it's going to sound better. Yeah. In the early days of this, now I I, I this now I'm going to date myself here, really. But um, you're not that st- old. No, not really. I guess. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, you threw me off here. But but in the early days when I started doing this. Um, was on an Atari 1040 ST, and I was using Cubase at the time. And at that point... But you know what ruled about the Ataris? What's that? They were color. Mine wasn't. Oh, you had a black and white Atari? Yeah. Wow. See, that's why I got the Atari 1040 ST, is because instead of Mac, it was color. Because Mac was black and white back in the day. So it was like Atari had the stuff to do all the MIDI and everything, but it was in color. So it was like, ooh, color. <laughs> well, maybe I just couldn't afford a color monitor. I don't remember. Oh, that, that. might be it. <laughs> yeah. But, but they were it expensive. was definitely it was definitely black and white. But the point I was going to get to there is I think there were two different or four different levels of um, velocity hit that you could do. So you didn't um, have a whole lot of choice there. No. And I even think that well, I, I know that at that point there weren't even different samples. It was like one sample that was triggered for yep. uh, for each and every hit, right? So you just triggered it softer. Uh, wow, weird. Yeah. Well, it's the early. It was memory, right? So well, everything yeah. was, you know, at this point, everything was had to on fit a, on a three and a half. No, was it? What was the size of the floppies? The three and a half inch floppy in a hard yeah, shell it was, case. It, it, yeah. So it, it only ones, held yeah. like. If you didn't even hold like what a meg <laughs> of information? No, no, I don't think it was that much. No, but, but um, no. So the I was using uh, either from my my keyboard at the time, which was a D seventy, I think I was triggering, or 
had access to an old Ensonic sample. Ensonic, there's a name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, yeah. But they, they were great at the time. But I remember there was, you know, you could only load so and so much into them, right? Yeah. Well, but, you know um, what's fun is Rolling Cloud uh-huh. now has all of those old sounds available for like wow. 100, 130 a year or something like that. Yeah, you can get all those old sounds now in Rolling Cloud and use them now. Yeah, with no issues to... without having to go back to the old hardware. It's just software. It's all software now. Yeah. I Download see it. no reason to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to go, well, you're trying to capture 80s sound, that would actually well, get you that sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, technically early 90s. But yes, um, no, but that that's true. That That's true. If you need that sort of, if you had an old Ensonic and you go, oh, man, I love that thing, then that it's a great deal. For me, where I'm right now, I... I doesn't fill a need for me. Don't be um, a snob. It's not a snob. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's just something I haven't been striving for. Lately, I hear you. Or had an outlet for. So where was I going? You cut me off my uh, dynamics. Yeah. So yes, um, dynamics. The whole thing of like meeting different velocity sounds because even if you're compressing the snot out of it. it yeah, it's a different hit. It's triggering sounds. a different sample. So a drummer doesn't hit exactly the same level of, of force each time. That's right. Um, so if everything is triggering exactly the same samples, even if they're like round-robin samples and they have different samples for the same velocity level. Round-robin. <laughs> it's going to sound... <laughs> It's going to sound mechanical. So you don't have to get extreme with it, but when you're working with that, uh, it makes a huge, huge difference to uh, making your parts sound real. And uh, the, si- the same thing goes for timing discrepancies. If you hit everything on the grid, it's going to sound very, very mechanical. So even it, if Well, it can sound mechanical. It doesn't mean it will. No, but if you have everything at hitting at 127, and oh yeah, 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 right no, it, it, yeah, it's going to be that. <laughs> the so, humor but, of my early days of doing quote unquote dynamics. I used to. Sm- that's why I got rid of that old keyboard is because even if I didn't smash the shit out of the note, it was still like firing off at like 125, 126, and 127. So it was like it was always like smashing like constant i'm hitting as hard as i can and yeah. it was, everything was the same thing no real dynamics and it was just like oh i listened back to some of those demos and it's like uh, sure awful. but you know but hopefully we get better as the the, the longer we keep at it I well mean. and that's why we're explaining is that you must use dynamics so Correct. don't hit everything exactly the same every time which I guess would mean that it would be good to have either a keyboard that has the ability to take those different velocity values a lot better than something that's really kind of going from zero to 30 and then from like 120 to 127 and nothing really in between. Or, you know, getting like the new machine, machine? is that what it's called? Native Instruments yeah, machine. machine? Yeah. That has all the drum pads on it um, that allows well, think, you to just pound things in as you want. Yeah. Well, I think the. Um from my perspective, it's not so much that how you're playing it in that that will have an impact, of course. But um, I always go in afterwards and can and change stuff. Well, um, so, yeah, uh, yeah. But so you get things placed where you kind of want by performing them. Oh, I want this kick pattern or this this snare pattern, whatever it happens to be. But 
um, then it's always a certain level of tweaking going into it. Uh, certain so level a of bit. tweaking. Absolutely. Um, so in the timing discrepancy, just to backtrack a little bit with that, um, I'm not talking about huge parts. Uh, you're talking about moving stuff ever so slightly um, just to make it sound as human as possible. Um, I think it's easy to, to perhaps want to overdo the the human element and you're you're not no i don't want to quantize anything i don't want to do anything like that well at some point you just end up with a part that doesn't sound right or doesn't sound tight along with the music so um if you're having let's say a hard driving sort of like rock or a pop track when you want that snare to be really really in your face don't have too much discrepancy in there because it's just going to sound like the drummer's not sure what they're doing. So they're not uh, confident, right? Got to so, sound confident as a drummer, to, right? Yeah, or, or as, as a drum anything. programmer in this case, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so they're the big things, right? I think the big three, anyway. Uh, is it possible to play? Um, make sure you make use of dynamics as well as slight timing discrepancies. And what one good example would be uh, with the timing discrepancy. Let's say, for example, that at the end of a section, uh, you're wanting to have two crashes hit at, coming out of a fill, and it's a big stop. Uh, a drummer is very unlikely, at least in my opinion, to hit them exactly at the same time. So you might want to... You don't know my drummers. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> they always hit exactly perfect. No, just but kidding. then even in the programming case, it would sound better if they're slightly... Uh, one is slightly late and one is slightly early. And then you might have, if you have a kick underneath that, the kick be right on the beat. So you can have the... It's a slight discrepancy. Still sounds like one hit, but they're not quantized uh, to it's 100%. a it's a lie. It's a lie. I tell you, it is always a lie. <laughs> and then it's always funny, of course, on the flip end of that, where people hire a drummer to get the human feel, and then they quantize the drummer's performance. So, that's, you know, <laughs> well, sometimes sometimes you have to do a little gentle massage of quantizing a, a drummer. I've this had is to true. do it. Oh, of course. But when the irony is that you're, oh, I'm getting this guy for. For the feel, he has such a great feel, and then you just like, oh, that's too much feel. Let's dial that down. <laughs> <laughs> too much feel. Yeah, I can draw. I can draw and drum program parts that have too much feel. Damn it! <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm a feel yeah. drummer. Right. Yeah. yeah, I like a drummer who can play in time. Yes. Yeah. So um, those are, are the big things, and we should mention that we will have. Um, on the site, we will have some some audio and possibly some video examples of what, what we're talking about. What site is that? Well, that would be inside the recording studio. Dot com. Dot com. Oh, um, yeah. So, so what kind of examples are we doing? Just so people know, again. We're going to talk about the differences between um, having everything hit at the same dynamic level, uh, timing discrepancies, all those, all those things as far as performance parts and all this kind of thing. You so see we'll what see. we give you? We give you goods now. We we try. Well, this is a little bit of, you know, it, it's hard to talk about this and perhaps get an idea of what we're talking about without hearing anything. Right. So um, audio examples is very much due for this, I think. Yeah, I agree. 
And um, I'm not going to disagree anyway. <laughs> damn right, you're not right. Um, so, other things to do when you're doing this is, and this you might do this in your sort of regular air quote uh, drum sessions as well, and that's to layering sounds when you like layering samples. Um, Why would you ever want to do that? To make them sound bigger and thicker and have more impact. Chunkier, punchier. Yes. Smack me in the gut. Right. So let's say, for example, you have a awesome sounding kick drum that has a lot of low end and it really punches you in the gut. And then it comes to mix time and you realize uh, you can't really hear the attack. So you kind of lose it a little bit. So that might be a good idea to, to layer it with a different sample that has more attack on, on it and, and blend those accordingly. So uh, you're not changing anything more than the sound of the kit. You're not changing the, the performance of the drummer or anything like that. You're just making that stand out a little bit more uh, in the yeah. mix. So, so like, and the same thing goes for any kit piece, right? Or, yeah. Uh, but the big ones, I think, are obviously the, the kick and the snare. That At least I do a lot to kind of help it along and have that bigger impact. I'm sure you do the same, Jody. Oh, never. Never, 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 <laughs> never do that, ever. No. Not only do Actually, you never do it, you never heard of it. <laughs> never you heard of it. Talk about Wouldn't it. want to do it. La, 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 la. Chris is talking to me. I'm not listening. No. Um, actually, in speaking of the uh, drums one time with a live drummer who had a little, quote, unquote, too much feel, um, the unfortunate reality of correcting his horrendous timing. Ouch. Uh, resulted in drum original drum sounds that were not very drum sounding. <laughs> I guess oh, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. So at that point, you have to actually substitute actual samples in conjunction with mishit things. And then it becomes a little bit of an issue. Can you get the drum sample to sound as close as you can to the original sound? And then you're layering that in and then you're muting and unmuting things to kind of correct that. And then, of course, as you say, if there's something that needs an extra little piece of oomph for the high end or the low end or wherever it is, and you're not getting it, then you have to have a second sample to kind of offset that. I know that on a song called Thump, 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 that was done for the snare. It's all live drums, but the snare is enhanced with an additional snare sample to get a little bit more crack on it. Right. So that's a great example of that, where you just you know you're not changing um, necessarily the performance, just making it beefier and chunkier, and and to be able to sit better in a mix and to get what you want. No so shame you in that. Be like a king, right? So um, yeah, so layering, really cool thing, and, and I think some drummers. Not all, but some drummers can be really touchy about that. Um, oh, yeah. I don't yeah. need a click. I'm awesome. Yeah, well, that's Wrong. that's even that's probably another podcast <laughs> in itself. But, but nobody, How to it, treat it, your drummer with respect. Right. Um, or And should you? No. Um, no, come on. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but it, it – I guess at some point it could be a valid choice where we're talking about correcting somebody's timing or, or samples or anything like that. And, but it could be the simple fact that, you know, studio time can be expensive. 
and let's say that you're a band and you've scraped in, together enough money to go into the studio and track X amount of songs. And um, it becomes the case of, okay, well, do we want to do three songs or do we just want to focus on one and try to get everything as nice and tight as possible? Or, do you know what my answer to that would be? Yes, do the latter. Do the, take yeah, it. take it all and put it on the one song. Right. <laughs> that, that, well, in a perfect world, that would be it. But let's say that, you know, for whatever reasons, uh, you discover and you don't have the time to go back and do it again or whatever happens to be. Um, you might nudge something and let's say that it was a great performance apart from just that one snare hit that was a little bit late. I don't think there's any shame in going in and, and fixing that. Just the same as I feel about a singer. If you have a great take, but you're slightly off pitch on one or two notes, well, go in and tweak that. Um, so it, it, it's all the end product that matters, right? Yes. Um, so um, It is not the means of the journey. It is the destination. That's right. I think somebody in a song said that sometime. Right? Really? Yeah. Was it me? <laughs> it, it, it was absolutely you. Oh, you was said, it me? Yeah, no. It yeah. When did I, I say it, that in a song? You said, well, you said, um, it doesn't matter about the destination if the journey is fun. Oh, the days you are lives, right. But that's yeah. backwards, isn't it? Well, but it it works in this case. <laughs> it's it's a good It's a good saying anyway. It is a good saying. Yeah. But I don't know if I invented it. I no, probably but, didn't. Probably not, but let's say that while well, you sang about it anyway. That's and right. I, and I thought that was a good line in the song. Thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. Um, <laughs> so what did we talk about? Dynamics. We already Art, did that. Yeah, we talked about that. We talked about timing discrepancies. We talked yes. about layering. Yes. And uh, we mentioned it briefly, but again, don't be afraid to ask a drummer for parts. Um I actually maybe we should clarify. Don't be afraid to ask a good drummer. Well, if you don't some know drummers it, yeah, might well, not actually know. Well, that's true, but then you don't have to take that into consideration. But um, assuming you know even less than that drummer, <laughs> <laughs> then you should ask you, the drummer, yes. right? Yeah, and I mean it, it, it's. Um, it, I think it is important because I'm primarily a guitar player. So I am not. No, you're not. Think, I thought you were primarily a keyboard player. Am I a liar? Well, <clears throat> you you are a liar. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would not have the the balls to call myself a keyboard player. I can play parts, but I'm not a live keyboard player. You can uh, at least keys. not. Yeah. Um, damn, Jody, you keep interrupting me. <laughs> 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 um, no, no, Makes but, it more uh, fun that way, doesn't it? Then you got to rethink, it, 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 right? And I get to start <laughs> over. Uh, no, but. It's very easy for if, – if you're not comfortable programming, you end up programming the same parts. I know a guy who his favorite saying is that he's played with so many guitar players that they're used to putting on their – at least his SR-16, which is an old drum machine. And it just goes – and that's their drum beat, right? That's not necessarily the most creative way to do something. So if that's how you're thinking and you have no idea where to go around – Two things, talk to drummers or listen to your favorite artists. What What's going on with the drums? Just like anything when you might be learning how to play guitar or bass or you're figuring something out and transcribing parts, transcribe the drummer parts. 
you know, and see what are they doing? How are they working dynamics with the hi-hat? Are they closed? Are they doing opens? Are they doing chokes? Are they playing the ride? Is it a crash ride? What's going on? That kind of thing. So, um, And then know your drum software well enough that if you ever in the future need to come back to something you've programmed, you know, like write out your drum map of what goes where. (laughs) (laughs) The only reason why the reason why I'm inserting that is I just recently had that problem last week, (laughs) pulling out an old song and and not having the original drum uh, map is the best yeah. way to say it. And it was a V-drum situation that was spitting out a ridiculous amount of data. And it was like, what note is, what what drum is this note triggering? <laughs> right, right. And it turned out that it was different, different types of hi-hat chokes and all this yes. kind of stuff. Right? So, yes, yeah. very so nice. It, right, yeah. But uh, yeah, so know that as well. But uh, <laughs> A little tidbit uh, of information we're throwing in just for free. Right, exactly. That, <laughs> here, here's a nugget. Um so yes, yeah, so just but just like anything else, I don't think anybody's awesome at this off the bat. So you get better at doing it, and um, I've been doing it forever now. So I, I like and that's to think a mighty that, long time. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I like to think I'm, I'm at least decent at it. Um, so last note that I have on uh, my little cheat sheet here that we were going to talk about. Uh-huh. Um, and that's when you're considering parts, and that's the placement of fills. Um, so, in other words, drummers do fills at a certain point. Some do. Uh, some do. Some, some do. Some songs don't. Some, yeah. And that's where do you want to do that? And do you want to repeat the same fill all the time? Uh, once you repeat something once or twice, it's going to become obvious that that's what you're doing. Um, if it's a part of the song, like a, uh, let's say like a Ringo thing, for example, like, you know, come together, and it's part of the track, then there's one thing. But if you're doing it as an actual fill, um, you need to try to be a little creative with that, I would suggest. Are you sure? I am. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in the camp of pro, uh, well, I almost said pro creativity, but that's that as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, pro creative? But, uh, yeah, procreative with your <laughs> procreativeness, or, yes. or a phrase like that. Well, um, and and here's the here's the humor of that. Uh, another song, actually, that I spent a great deal of time with the co-writer on discussing yeah. drum parts. We had a section where it was like, how many bars are we actually going to have? Or how many beats when we come out of this section into the next section are going to happen. And we programmed at least, I think, 10 or 15 different lengths. And it came down to this one particular programming of a bar of five. And the fill felt so natural in that bar of five with the way it was programmed out that you don't even notice that it's a bar of five. Right. And... I've actually had people come back. It's like, dude, who's the drummer on this? This sounds awesome. <laughs> like, thank you. I programmed that. <laughs> but that that's just from coming from a standpoint of like doing a lot of it and then working the fine details. Right. Yeah. That, that's something on a workflow 
perspective. I, well, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna hold something up to the screen real quick because this yeah. came in a in a magazine article, and hopefully this is not gonna it's gonna probably take up everything. It says what it takes to write a hit song, and then a piece number four, and I'm just gonna go whoop, right like that and pull it back down. Um, it says attention to detail is critical. Yeah, and pretty much everything that we're talking about here right now is attention to detail. Yeah. One thing that I do, because, I mean, it's very easy to go really down the rabbit hole when you're sitting and doing this kind of stuff. But that's so, the detail. That's the detail. But there's a time and a place for the detail, I think. And when you're, <laughs> It ends and your, and your insanity begins. <laughs> right. No, but I, from, um, let's say from a writing standpoint, and you need to have something there uh, for writing. Let's say that you have a you come up with a great part and you need some drums there. Don't sweat the details at this point. Come up with maybe a kick in a snare pattern that feels good over that part. And then just loop that for the time being. Once you have everything sort of sketched out in the song form, then I think it's it's important to go back in and then think about the drum performance that, that you're programming. So you, that's the time to change little fills, really work on the dynamics, and just kind of tidy that up just like you might with anything else. I wouldn't get too bogged down with the details as you're sitting in the writing stage. <laughs> well, how how are you ever going to finish a song if you're not bogging down? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you go, okay, now we need a chorus. Why does everything sound so bad compared to the verse that we just wrote? Well, because you spent four hours perfecting that part. Everything is going to fall flat. Yeah. yeah. That's a so joke, that, by the way. You yeah, should never but, bog yourself down with the details until you're in the final production stages. <laughs> right. Yeah. If we all do that. I mean, that. That's the old joke. I mean, everybody goes, how do I finish ideas? How do I finish my songs? Well, it's I don't. Beca- yeah, you don't. But it's um, it's the idea of not writing, not getting the skeleton of the song down quick enough. And you spend time developing sections before you have the whole song. And um, But that, it's always so fun to see the pictures come alive. Uh, but it's a death trap because you never end up with that. And then you got, you know, a full hard drive full of ideas that are, you know, eight bars long. And then, you you know, you never end up actually finishing anything. So You know, a bunch of years, somebody actually, uh, years ago, a bunch mm-hmm. of years from now, no, a bunch of years ago, I had a friend ask me how it was. How do you finish so many songs? How do you have so many? Mm-hmm. And then my first answer was, I don't think about it. I just write it and then I've put it aside. Right. <laughs> write it, put it aside, then tweak it and make it better. But right. yeah, that's how I did it. I would just write. I wouldn't try to edit as I went along. Right. And I think, you know, the, the, one thing that's important to remember when you do that um, is because most of us creative people, we'd like to think that everything that we do is good, you know, but not everything that you do is going to be a great track. So Bullshit. Everything it, I do is awesome. It sure is, Jody. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I think it's important to, to not get in the habit of, of, you know, abandoning ideas too quickly either. But that being said, once you come up with the structure and you realize that, you know what, this song is just not happening right now. Well, then put it to the side and and do something else. But you might revisit it later with a different mindset. But if you have nothing but 
an eight bar phrase or a 16 bar phrase, it might be harder to pick up the thread on that. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that's something that you and I have been doing for a lot of the stuff for your library thing, which where, is, which is the razor wire audio. Stuff. Well, no, no, no. What are you talking about? What are you getting at? Oh, I'm getting at the songwriting process uh-huh. where when we have our writing sessions, how we fairly quickly come up with an idea or two and then structure that into a song idea and then have that. So now you're filling in the blanks. Well, this needs to be beefed out and this needs to do that. But once you have the structure, you kind of have a uh, a roadmap. Well, something to, right, a roadmap and kind of finish that is a lot easier. So – I mean, there's, you know, stuff might need work after that. But once you have that, you you know what you're dealing with. And, and that's why it's stuff. fun to have skeleton drum tracks. You kind of go, this is a good beat for this section. This is a good beat for that section. Glue the two together and then cut and paste, cut and paste. And that's your initial skeleton. Right. And then when you start working into the finer details, like such things as hi-hats. Right. How do you make hi-hats sound real? Well, that requires a lot of finesse. Yeah. Lots of that, finesse. And, and I would actually, say the same thing goes yeah. with, with uh, tom fills and things like that too. It's very easy to just kind of overdo those. And, that, um, you know, do you need to play the entire kit or is everything at maximum velocity as well? Cause, well, if I'm Neil Peart, yeah, yeah, I'm playing a whole kit. No, I'm just kidding. Right. Um, but but uh, nuance and dynamics, in addition to dynamics, it's nuance. And that's, that's where hi-hat programming becomes a big deal if you're trying to make it sound real sure and uh that was one thing i found some some drum software makes it easier than others so with the native instrument stuff it's actually rather kind of difficult to get hi-hats to move more realistically even though they sound great you have to add the controller information without the controller information the hi-hats will actually sound static and that's actually kind of true for any drum software, but for for whatever reason, native instruments unfortunately makes it harder than others to do it. Huh. That's I have, and I I did a whole like little tutorial on how I was doing it, and it's on Facebook somewhere. Yeah. And maybe we should add it to this. Sure. Particular yeah. episodes like extracurricular stuff that you can check out on the website. Um, but was that a song that you went back to, or was that? As you're doing that from from I think, scratch, no, so that was as I was doing it from scratch. So okay. it was just kind of like, how do I make these hi hats kind of come across sounding like they're actually getting hit at different velocities in addition to the different velocities that are being used? Because the controller information can control how open or closed the hi hats sound, and as a drummer is drumming. Unless his foot is glued to the floor, it's very difficult to keep a hi hat the same closed all the time, which is the reason for using the controller information to control the change in the open closeness of the hi-hat. Because if he's playing a slightly open hi-hat, his foot is not going to be locked into the same position. So his foot's going to waver a little bit and that open and closeness will change. Right. And and a lot of drummers that really do that really well, that's that's sort of like their their bread and butter. That's the feel, right? So that's... Well, that's the Excuse real me. feel, not my I can right. play without a click feel because I'm so awesome feel. Right. And it's just making that hi-hat move. That's I just watched a video 
the other week and uh, it was a drummer. He was talking about that. That's the secret sauce, man. The, the, when you work your hi-hat patterns and little ghost notes and like you said, opening and choking them or yeah. all that kind of stuff. That, it, That's it the realism that gets put in there that you have to put in. That's the right. realism part. Right. So. So now it's different, though, of course, again, stylistically here to play devil's advocate. But if you're doing like an electronic rock song like in KMFDM or or maybe even like a Rob Zombie type of thing, right? You're going for that sort of hyper quantized kind of machine like thing. Right. And in which case it would be, you know, that's what you want, right? Then that's what you have to do. But if you're doing something, let's say that you're, you're doing a country track, or certainly like a funk track or something like that, well, then, you know, there's going to be a lot of dynamics going on there. Yeah. So Lots of ghosties too. Yeah, all of that stuff, right? So you have to listen to drummers and, and, uh, well, learn how to do that, I guess. (laughs) Oh, man, that just made me think of the film, That Thing You Do. What are you doing with him? He's a drummer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, but it's – you know, I, I have friends that are, are drummers, and I don't hold that against them. But, uh, <laughs> but as they say, and, it, and it's very, very true. You know, it, we make fun of drummers and this and that, and, and sometimes rightfully so. But um, if you have a bad drummer, everything falls apart. It doesn't matter how tight your bass player is, or how tight your, you know, your guitar player might be, or how soaring your singer is. If the drummer doesn't have a good timing or or, or uh, feel, the song tends to fall apart. So it is the backbone of what we do a lot of times. I'm gonna say truth. Yup, yup, absolutely. So there will be some audio examples and things about what we just kind of talked about, or and, video uh, clips anyway, of with audio examples of what he's talking about. That as well. So um, hopefully that makes sense. But I don't think people should be afraid of, of programming their own drums as well. I mean, Hell no. Do it. Just dive in there and chances are, just like with everything else, if it's the first time you're doing it, you might not be very good at it. But take some of these tips. And uh, and to paraphrase Devo, do it. Do it good. There you go. So there we go, Jody. Are we done now? Um, I think uh, have we covered we kinda, it all? I think we kind of covered it all. Um, one thing that we're going to do that we should probably mention is we're going to start doing some of these like little Tuesday tips as well. Yeah, two minute Tuesdays. Yeah, two so minute little, Tuesdays. Little quick tips where we might not necessarily go in depth, but a quick tip for everybody to take into consideration in the production. Oh yeah. All right, so on that note, We also have our Friday finds, too, that we're going to be doing. We're going to do that as well. Yes, and I'm sorry for my heavy lip smacking here. (laughs) Stop it now. Yeah, Uh, that's what RX is for, right? No, it's not. Not not in this case. It's the Hellstrom filter. That's right. Right. Uh, No, on that note, Jody, I say we wrap this episode up, and uh, I wish you a good rest of the day. Thank you, sir. You have a great day as well. And everybody out there in inside the recording studio land, have yourself a wonderful day as well. Thank you.